This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now today's lesson is titled Morning Prayer, and it comes from Psalms 5. If you'd like to hear a previous lesson, you can go back and listen on our Facebook page. That's www.facebook.com slash Radio Bible Classes with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. Again, that's www.facebook.com slash Radio Bible Class with no spaces. Also, you can follow us or tweet us on Twitter at Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class or me personally at T Carter 12 and this radio station at WMER Worldwide with no spaces between WMER Worldwide. Now, Christian radio is not free. If you enjoy this radio ministry, your offering to this ministry will aid in the expense of keeping the Radio Bible Class on the air as a witness for Jesus. By making a charitable contribution, you are helping reach people listening in our area and over the internet. You can make a donation safely and securely by calling us at 601-483-8648, and there they can take your information over the phone. Our signature gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi 39304. Your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Hebrews 13:16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Let me start off today by asking, what do you do? How do you respond when someone hurts you or angers you? And we covered a little bit this last week. Psalms 5 is connected again to Psalms 4 and Psalms 3. But let me ask that question. What do you do when somebody hurts or angers you? And if you remember, we've been studying about David. And David writes Psalms 5. And this is a prayer that he prays in the morning. Absalom has come, he's created this coup, he's tried to overthrow David, and so now David is hurt, he's angered, he's had to flee from Jerusalem with his family because Absalom, his son, is ready to kill him. His flesh and blood is ready to kill him so that he can be king. So how do you respond when you've been hurt or angered? Some of you may say, just like David, that I pray about it. Let me ask you this question, what does that prayer look like? What does that prayer sound like? Here's what I'd tell you. If you're like me, most of the time your prayers are more about, God, please take this pain away. God, please help me get through this pain and this anger, this hurt. And it's less about, Lord, help me find my joy in you. Lord, help me be more like you. Lord, let me follow your way. Let me be godly. Let me be righteous. Let me have the righteousness that you've given to me and walk in it. Yet we want to hurry up and get out of that hurt and pain. That's our natural response. I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed these last four weeks studying Psalms because we really get to see David during his personal time with God. How he pours out his heart, how he seeks forgiveness, and how he asks for protection. Many of them were written while he was being chased by Saul. And in the midst of all his struggles, we get some very good nuggets of wisdom and how to pray and walk with Jesus. Now, David is confident that God will answer his prayers. He starts each day with crying out to the Lord. And this is an example we all should follow. Each day, we should begin by meditating on God's word and praying. It's a small sacrifice that we would pay each morning in time. But the reward that we would get from it is well worth it. And going to God and giving him all of our problems and taking them off of our minds and putting them at the feet of God. That allows us to focus on what we need to do that day. 
Today we're going to look at Psalms 5 and we're going to see David how he focuses on God's joy. He focuses on his walk with God and he doesn't focus on the pain and the hurt. It is believed that this is still part of the Absalom story that I told you about just a minute ago. We saw in Psalms 3 that he was running for his life. He prayed that psalm in the morning. Then we saw last week that he prayed a prayer that night. And then this morning again, he starts off with a prayer in the morning. Let me ask you this. How many of you every morning hit the ground and you go to your time in meditation? Now, look, I know there's some natural things we need to do, like maybe going and getting that first cup of coffee, or maybe there's something we need to do to go uh, take care of some things in the bathroom, whatever. I won't go into those details. Those are more personal. But before you get anything else really started, how many of you go to God in time and prayer and meditation? And that's what David shows us today is that he started off every morning, and we see that throughout the book of Psalms, he would start off the morning in prayer seeking God. Luke tells us Jesus did this as well. If you look at Luke 6, verse 12, it says, In those days Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and he spent the night in prayer to God. When daylight came, so he prayed as the morning came in, he called to his disciples and chose the twelve of them whom he also designated as apostles. So Jesus was a person that prayed to God regularly, but also he got up in the morning and he spent time in prayer. I believe there are four things that we can learn from this prayer in Psalms 5 by David. So let's jump in and look at it. Psalms 5, I'll be reading from the ESV, and I'll read verses 1 through 3 to start with. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. Now, if you look at that word groaning there that he says, give ear to my words, O Lord, and consider my groaning, what that really means is when you're hurt, when you're in pain, when you've been done wrong and you can't describe it, when you're praying to God and you can't describe what you're feeling, even though you may be putting words to it, it really can't describe deep down inside how you really feel. That is a groaning, and God understands that. I want to read you verse 1 out of the Message Bible because I, I, I want you to hear in layman's term what David is saying here. The Message Bible, verse 1. Listen, God, please pay attention. Can you make sense of these rambling and my groans and my cries? Now, the first thing I want you to see and learn out of the four things David shows us in this prayer is that we need to approach God when our hurt and our anger. And David does it in the morning. He approaches God in the morning, and that's what he says in verse 1 when he says, Give ear to my word, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Have you ever been in a situation where you needed someone to hear you right away? Maybe it was an emergency and you dialed 911. They can't answer fast enough. And that's what's going on right here with David. David has dialed 911. He's called God. He says, Lord, hear me. I long for an audience with you. So David approaches God. Now, just recently in my work, I had a situation where I needed to get in touch with our risk management folks. And it was important that I get into them because a lot was at risk, obviously risk management. But I needed them to give me an answer and show me how we would take care of this from an insurance perspective. And I called some folks. I didn't know who to reach out to. You know what? I didn't take no for the first answer. I don't know who to contact. I called several folks inside the company until they finally got me to the right person. 
And I got my answer pretty quick. What David shows us is that we need to go to God. We need to give our ear to God. We need to go to him first. Now go back and look at verse one with me again. He says, give ear to my words, O Lord. That's the first thing. Consider my meditation. He says it a second time. Give heed to the voice of my cry, the third. So right here we see that he asked God three times. It reminds me yesterday when I was flying in from South Florida. I was sitting in the airport and there was this little five-year-old girl. And she kept going, mommy, mommy, mommy. And mom would look at her and answer the question, not even a minute later, mommy, mommy, mommy. Over and over, she went, mommy, mommy, mommy. And what we can learn from that situation that I saw in the airport is that God does not mind that we come to him and we go, mommy, mommy, mommy. Actually, it's daddy, daddy, daddy. Here, David says, give ear to my words. Consider my meditation. Give heed to my voice. David needs help and he cries out. He dials 911. David understands the importance of God to hear his prayer. And what he's saying here is that if you're not going to listen to me, there's no point in prayer. And what I can tell you this morning is that God hears your prayer. You may have prayed over and over and over that same prayer. God hears that prayer and he is working to answer that prayer. Now, it may not be the answer that you're asking for. It may be a different answer. God really gives us three answers. He says yes, or he says no, not right now, or I have a better solution for you. A lot of times we just want the yes. We're not listening to no, not right now, or I have a better solution for you. But God will answer your prayer if you will just go to him. And David says, approach him in the morning. It's okay to be persistent. Even Jesus taught on this. If you look back at Luke chapter 11, he talks about the persistent friend. Jesus teaches that it's okay to be persistent and be bold with our prayers. So it is okay to go to God and be persistent as David here is in verse 1. Now look at verse 2 with me. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. Now David doesn't go before God and say, you have to answer my prayer. He says, give attention. Listen to me. Please listen to me. But he doesn't demand it. He's the king. He could have easily said, I'm the king. I'm used to people listening and doing what I say. And God, you need to do what I say because I'm the king of Israel. But David shows us that we don't pray like that. That would be arrogant. And we saw that in the teaching, the parable where Jesus talks about the Pharisee and the tax collector. One came proudly, the other came humble. And David comes humble because look at the end of verse 2. He says, my king and my God, for to you do I pray. We see the humility right there. Here is the most powerful man in Israel. And he comes before God saying, you are my king. You are my God, for to you do I pray. For to you do I need your help. One of the common mistakes that Christians make in their prayer life is that they come to, before God, but their request and their feelings never consciously focus on God and his sense of presence. And David was a great man of prayer because his prayer time was focused on God. And one of the commentaries that I read was Tory, and he says that when we come before God, when we pray to God, that we should have a vivid image of God bending over us and listening to us as we pray. And when we start to take that image with our prayer, we start to see how big God is. We start to understand how powerful God is. We know that. We've studied that. 
But a lot of times we're in such dire need. The focus is no longer back on God, but it's back on us. It's about what we need, and it's no longer about how powerful and how big God is. But when we would come before him, when we approach God, we have that image of him bending over us and listening to us, then we're more like David and how David prayed. Now look at verse 3 with me where he says, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. So the other thing we see is not only did David approach God, but he did it in the morning. God was David's first choice, not his last resort. And every morning he spent time with him. I wonder how many of us, if we were hurt like David, if we were in pain, if we were suffering because something someone did to us, how many of us would go to God first? Or would we go to our friends and we would just tell anybody that would listen to us? We would go to those that would listen and we would rant and rave about what had happened to us instead of going to God. David says in verse 3, my voice you shall hear in the morning. David wanted to make it a point to pray to God in the morning. He did this because he wanted to honor God at the beginning of the day, to set a tone for the entire day dedicated to God. One of the reasons why it's important for us to pray in the morning is that we wake up refreshed. We wake up reset for the day. And we have an opportunity to set our day off right by getting in the right attitude, understanding who God is and where our strength comes from. Hudson Taylor was a famous missionary in China, and he was having trouble to find a place to get alone with God. So what he did, he set his alarm to wake up at 2 in the morning. Now that's pretty intense. But he used those quiet hours when everyone else was asleep so that he could get in tune with God. I think about a trip out to Hawaii that I had, and the time change was different. There were six hours behind us, and I remember waking up and watching the sun come up. I remember being out at a men's fellowship and watching the sun come up over the mountains when I was out in Colorado. There's just something about spending time with God first thing in the morning when you're refreshed, and it just helps your day get going. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon wrote. He said, this is the fittest time to spend time with God. An hour in the morning is worth two in the evening. When the dew is on the grass, let grace drop upon your soul. I like that. Let grace drop upon your soul first thing in the morning while there's still dew on the grass. So the first thing we see is that we should approach God in the morning. We should approach him humbly. He should be our first resort and that God will hear our prayer. Take everything to him, whether it's a hurt or an anger or whatever it is that we need from God. Now, the second thing we see right here in verses 4 through 8 is that a contrast between the wicked man and a godly man. So look with me at verse 4 and we'll read to verse 8. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. The Lord arbors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. There was a show I used to watch. It was called Deal or No Deal. It was where a contestant would choose one of 26 briefcases. And each briefcase inside of it had a value of money that was anywhere from one cent to a million dollars. Now, over the course of the game, they would choose different briefcases and they would open those briefcases up and those dollar values were eliminated off the board as they were opened up. After so many choices, the banker would come on and they would make a deal. 
They would offer them so much money to take it and leave and not choose any more. But if the contestant said no deal to the money that the banker made, then he had to pick more briefcases. And if he kept doing that, eventually he would get to the final two briefcases. And even then, he could change the briefcase he had to the last one that was left. It was amazing to me how many people would get greedy during this show. They would be offered hundreds of thousands of dollars because they started off well and they picked a lot of the lower packages of and so they said, no, I'm going to keep going because this is the million dollars. They had that kind of faith in their decision. Well, in life, it's very similar to us. We have a lot of choices to make. Some of them seem very logical. Some of them seem to be the right choice. But other times, they're not a very good deal. Probably the most important choice that you will make in your life is whether or not you are going to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you do, you become a family member of the Holy Family of God. We are brothers and sisters. We are joint heirs with Christ. That's what the Bible says. But if you choose not to accept Jesus as your Lord in life, at the end of this life, you walk away with nothing, just like this game show. I tell you all this because here in verses 4 through 8, David compares choosing God or not choosing God. And he starts out in verses 4 through 6 about the wicked who decide not to choose God. In verse 4, David says, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. David understands that every day he has to choose righteousness. If he chooses to go forth in wickedness, then he would not please God. He would not be one that God would delight in. From this, we can see that David had an intimate relationship with God. He was sensitive to the sin that could be in his life, and he wanted to draw closer to God, so he was more sensitive to that, and he wanted to make sure that when he approached a holy God that he was also striving after righteousness to be like God. That is a great marker for us to test our life against. When you pray with God, are you sensitive? Do you really understand are you listening to the Holy Spirit about sin in your life? Are you listening to the Holy Spirit to purify those things that are wicked in your life that you chose that you may not even realize that you chose, but God will enlighten us and he'll bring those things to light. So David says that you are God that does not like wickedness, and I want to choose righteousness. When we allow sin to creep into our life, it becomes a wedge between us and God. It breaks our fellowship. I can't tell you how many times that I've seen people that were on fire for God that allowed sin to creep into their life and they got further and further away from God because it broke that fellowship. They were no longer sensitive to the sin. They justified that sin in their life because that's what they wanted, not what God wanted. When we look to God, when we approach him in the morning, we understand that he is a righteous God and who he is, then we will be more sensitive to sin. Look at verse 5 and 6 with me. He says that you hate evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. So wait, let me make sure I point this out to you real quick. Did the Holy Spirit inspire David to say that God hates evildoers and that he will destroy them? Let me go one step further and tell you that if you go and study the book of Psalms, this is not the only place that we see this. I know some of you are going, but wait, Tim, isn't God love? And I would tell you, yes. You would say, isn't God long-suffering that none would perish, but all would come to know him? And I would tell you, yes. You might even ask, Tim, didn't he go to the cross to die for the sins of the world? And I would tell you, yes, he did. 
So why does God hate all evildoers? And he uses that word hate. And why will he destroy them, those that are, are wicked? Well, God is a just God. He gives us every opportunity. He sent his son to die for everyone. And just like that game show, deal or no deal, we have to make that decision. When God comes knocking on your heart and he says, come, let me be Lord of your life, we make a decision. God gave us a choice. God gave us a will. We're not robots. We make the decision whether we will serve him or whether he will turn away from us. God cannot look on sin, yet he gives us an opportunity to take Jesus's blood and have his righteousness if we'll just believe on him and make him Lord of our life. And so he says that he hates all evildoers and he destroys those that speak lies. The Lord arbors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. But then look at verse 7, what David says right there. Verse 7 and 8. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. Here we see how David comes before the Lord and his posture right there before the Lord. He comes in fear. He comes in humble. And he asks that he make his way straight before him. Verse 8 is the key verse in this whole prayer that David prays. He says, Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. And the key word there is make your way straight before me. I really like the way the New Living Translation reads on verse 8, so I'm going to read it to you. Lead me in the right path, O Lord, or my enemies will conquer me. Make your way plain for me to follow. Notice in both places he says your way. Make your way plain for me to follow. David doesn't say make my way, make your way. David prays over and over and over in the book of Psalms. He says, lead me in your righteousness. Don't let my enemies conquer me. Make your way plain for me to follow. David knew who was the light to his path. David followed after him. Solomon, David's son, said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your pathway straight. A true mark of every Christian is that they learn to walk in grace. They learn to walk in God's way and not their way. This may sound real easy, but let me tell you, it's no small task to be able to see God's way. The world will send a whole different picture toward you. The people around you that may even be godly people will tell you other things. But we have to go to God every morning in prayer. We have to seek his righteousness. We have to seek his way. It is hard enough to find God's way on a good day. When you start going through hurt and pain and anger like David has right here, it even gets harder to find God's way. When we are going through a hurt or a pain, we're, we just want to do something. We don't want to sit around. We want to do something so we don't have to think about it. And what we need to understand is we need to go to God. We need to let God tell us what to do, where to go. We need to be quiet and let him speak to us first. And then we go about what we're going to do. God will always send us on his straight path if we will just take time to listen to him. And David says, Lord, make your way straight for me. Now, several years ago, I was watching a NASCAR race. And let me tell you, I don't watch a lot of NASCAR, but I'm watching this race and there is this huge wreck. And as the cars are approaching, there's smoke that has covered this, where the tires have screeched out. 
And so as cars are going through the smoke, they can't see. Some go low, some go high. And as they zoom in on it, you see the ones that went low and high, they wrecked right into the other cars. But one went straight through. And guess what? He made it through. He was the only one in that group of cars that made it through. And he just kept his course. He kept the course that he was set on. And David says, let me follow after your ways. Make my pathway straight. So the first thing we see is that we need to approach God in the morning. The second thing we see is the wicked versus the godly. Now David shows us the destiny of the wicked. Look at verses 9 and 10 with me. My enemies cannot speak a truthful word. Their deepest desire is to destroy others. Their talk is foul, like the stench from the open grave. Their tongues are filled with flattery. O God, declare them guilty. Let them be caught in their own traps. Drive them away because of their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. The first thing we see in this is that David sees that there is no faithfulness in their mouth. David focuses on what the wicked say. David knew this, and Jesus even taught on this in Matthew 12, 34, where he said, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The wicked will sooner or later show their true colors by how they speak. They may fool some of the people some of the time, but they will not be able to fool people all the time. And then we see that David says that their tongue is filled with flattery, but God declared them guilty. This reminds me of the Roadrunner. I grew up watching that show. And the coyote would always try to get the roadrunner. He would do everything to tease and trap that roadrunner. But in the end, he never was able to get the roadrunner. You'd always hear beep, beep, and he'd be gone, and it turned on him. The coyote wound up losing. So what David shows us right here in these verses is just like the coyote. The wicked will never be successful. They will never be victorious because they're not on God's side. But on the other hand, in verses 11 and 12, he shows the destiny of the godly. Look at what he says there. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing joyful praises forever. Spread your protection over them that all who love your name may be filled with joy. For you bless the godly, O Lord. You surround them with your shield of love. David shows us that, again, by their words, we can see that they find their righteousness in him. They find their joy in the Lord. It may look like the wicked can flatter God and they're going to get away with it, but ultimately they lose. But we see those that put their trust in God, those that find their joy in him, that God defends them. Ultimately, they win. And I like how David finished. He says, you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor, you will surround him. The greatest blessing we have as a child of God is that we have the favor of God. We know that God looks on us and he gives us favor. He gives us pleasure. He gives us the things that we don't deserve. He gives us grace. And then he says that you defend us. He gives us a shield around us. He surrounds us. I think about growing up and watching Star Trek and how they would put up their shield. And their shield didn't just protect the front of them, but it protected the whole ship. It was all around them. And David says that you surround us. I'm out of time, so let me close with this final thought. Throughout Scripture, God is referred to as a shield. And that's an appropriate thing. As we go through history, we see that the Babylonians and the Romans and the Vikings and even modern-day police understand the value of a shield and the protection that it gives us. And God uses this as a good example for us. In life, we're going to face many hardships and battle. We're going to be hurt. We're going to be angry, just like David was with Absalom, coming after him and trying to kill him. And God gives us an illustration that we can understand. 
He tells us that he is a shield for those that take refuge in him. He deflects the attacks and he shares that we will be victorious as we go through the battle. My closing question for you today is, are you like what Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5? Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do you take refuge in God? Are you seeking out your righteousness just like David did in this prayer? This is a great prayer for us to learn as we go into battle. David shows us how to approach God and how that the godly are victorious, even though when the wicked seem like they're winning, they do not win ultimately. God is our shield. Take refuge in him. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for this time together. Lord, I thank you that you gave us the book of Psalms. You teach us how to praise you no matter the circumstance. David wrote half of these Psalms, and he shows us that while he was being hunted by Saul, while he was being chased for his life by his son Absalom, he took devotion and he took time to you to give you praise. Lord, I hope we understand that you are our first choice, not our last resort. That no matter what we're going through, no matter what hurt, what anger, whatever, that you're there for us and that we can use these psalms to pray. Lord, I feel like you're knocking on heart today. Lord, you're saying, turn to me, give it to me, put it at my feet and leave it there. Let me carry your bird. Come back to me. Take that sin that you've let creep into your life. Take that wedge out. Ask for forgiveness and turn from it. Lord, maybe there's one that doesn't know you. Lord, I pray today would be the day. Lord, they would ask you to be Lord of their life. Lord, that they would believe that you came upon the cross, that you died for our sin. You were the perfect sacrifice. Lord, that you rose and overcame the grave. You did all that because you loved us. Even when we did not love you, you came and you died for us. Lord, I pray that they would make you Lord of their life, that they would follow after you, that they would turn from their ways. It's in your name we pray. Jesus, we thank you for the many blessings. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.